Good morning. Let me pray for us. Father, um, for the glory of Jesus and the advancement of his kingdom, uh, for the building of your people. We pray, Father, the Holy Spirit will be our guide to truth, our counselor, our teacher. Remind us of what's been written, spoken. Pray, Father, that you would keep us from the evil one, keep us from evil. And allow there to be freedom to see, to savor, to revel in fellowship. Be ruler, please, over what we say and how we say it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm truly thankful um, to be able to stand in front of you again. It's been a while. Um, and I'm also truly thankful for equipped uh, men who are more than capable of standing here and doing an awesome job, amen, of preaching God's word. And that's been astoundingly amazing to sit and to be fed. Um, fellowship. Uh, we're starting a journey now that uh, may take us the better part of 2013 uh, as we work through fellowship, the idea of fellowship. Um, we're going to be working eventually through 1 John because it's a major theme in the book of 1 John. Originally when I started writing all this stuff up and outlining 1 John and all the good stuff that comes with preparing to, to do this, um, this talk this morning um, was a lot longer and then it got longer and then it got longer and then it got longer and then it broke it down into six parts. And so uh, this morning very... Very seriously, if you pulled the notes offline, we are we are we're just doing an introduction. Um, so we give you a quick roadmap. We're going to do an introduction. We're going to talk about some introductory pieces regarding fellowship. Then we're going to talk through some biblical images of fellowship, leading us down to a definition that we can work off of. And then we're going to take a look at some ways today. In our response time, we can practice fellowship. And then over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about the basis of fellowship from 1 John 1, 1 to 4, and that being Trinity. We're going to talk about the nature of fellowship. We're going to talk about the symbol of fellowship, the Lord's Supper. We're going to talk about the danger to fellowship being sin and rebellion. We're going to talk about, finally, responsibility in Fellowship, the ministry of serving, the ministry of holding one's tongue, the ministry of meekness, the ministry of listening, the ministry of helping, the ministry of bearing with one another, the ministry of proclaiming. So that's where we're going today and over the next few weeks. So let's start with, with introductory point number one. When we come to the issue of fellowship, we have to say this first and foremost, fellowship supernatural fellowship is super natural the scriptures affirm for us the reality of supernatural things angels demons heaven hell resurrection the landscape of the biblical narrative is dotted all over the place with the reality of the supernatural so when we come to the issue of fellowship, we do it a disservice if, if we start by thinking on fellowship as, as merely, first and foremost, an outward gathering. Because it's not first an outward gathering. It is first and foremost a Trinitarian reality where Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in perfect unity, though diverse in nature, one in essence, perfectly unified in mission and purpose, yet functioning differently. And that becomes the foundation of one of the biblical images we're going to take a look at in just a few minutes. Fellowship is not merely physical. It works itself out physically, okay? Hear that. There has to be an outworking of physical fellowship, but it first and foremost is a supernatural product of the indwelling Holy Spirit and His creatures. Even an example, it just happened for me yesterday. Fellowship is one of those things, again, it's a supernatural reality, but it then works itself out into 
physical realities. Yesterday, we had visitors day here at, at Unity at both campuses, lower and upper campus. And I got to be at the lower campus with the little tykes that come through and the parents who are interested in, in bringing their kids here and talking to them about, about who we are as a school. They got to spend about an hour with one of our teachers who I discovered has, has a common challenge in their lives. And as many of you guys know, I, I've, I have to, now I'm in a position of parenting my left, my remaining parent who has Alzheimer's disease. Um, and uh, it's been a rough couple of weeks. Didn't plan on that. Dang it. It's <sighs> um, been a rough couple of weeks. And, and this lady started sharing with me um, who her, her, both her parents are, are dead, and, and she had to parent her mother through uh, Alzheimer's disease. And there are other things, but I'm just going to call it Alzheimer's because that's not the point of this illustration. But for a few minutes, we got to sit there, and I got to listen to her tell her story. And there was, a, there was this, and, and again, I can't, there's not a, a way for me to quantify what was going on in the unseen realities of the supernatural, okay? I can't give you a bullet point list, all right? But there was this connection going on where she was ministering to me. Second Corinthians says that in chapter 1, Paul talks about the difficulties we wrestle through, and as a result of that, we're able to minister to other people. And she was ministering wisdom to me. And there was a balm on my soul that made the past two weeks bearable. And that was a supernatural thing going on in the unseen realm of the soul. Between two people that the Holy Spirit has indwelled. And in His providence, put them together at the same time for a few minutes in order to just balm the soul and bless the soul with a little bit of relief. That's the supernatural. It's an example of how supernaturally there was a connection taking place that worked itself out into physical conversation. Does that make sense just a little bit? And that was fellowship. That was some fellowship. And it was sweet. And it was rich. And it ministered to my soul. Fellowship is a supernatural reality. And it will work itself out into the physical piece of this. But it first starts understanding that this is a supernatural thing that we're talking about here. Okay? Alright? So we have to start with the supernatural. Recognizing that it transcends a physical gathering. Because you can gather physically and miss fellowship if it's merely about manipulating the physical. Number two, fellowship is a biblical reality. It's clear teaching of Scripture. Fellowship isn't, however, neatly defined in a single verse, right? You're going to go to, you know, Second Chronicles chapter 4 and go to verse like 4. And the Lord says, fellowship, therefore, iseth. And give you a nice, neat definition. But it is a clear biblical reality. It's not neatly defined in a single verse, in a single chapter. However, fellowship is spoken about all over the meta-narrative of the gospel. As revealed to us in the scriptures. Because fellowship flows out of Trinitarian reality and as a reality of the created order for those who are redeemed by the gospel. And we're going to look at some of the images that are presented for us in Scripture of fellowship, of which John is going to spend an awful lot of time unpacking. So it is a biblical reality that we must understand. Number three, fellowship is casually used but seldom unpacked. And, and if, we, if we take a good analytical approach to our language, we, we know we talk about fellowship. We say fellowship. We say the word fellowship a lot. But often we assume things about fellowship, and, and often we don't unpack the depth and the richness of that biblical language, koinonia, fellowship. It's a word we throw around, and have been thrown around in church as long as I can remember. And if you've been raised in the church in the South... With fellowship, there come an awful lot of experiences, smells. Nearly every church I was ever, ever walking into at any point in time growing up in the South had a place called the 
See what I'm saying? I didn't even have to say it. You knew it. And you assume that whatever happens in that room is fellowship because it's called the... See what I'm saying? <laughs> My definition of fellowship has had everything to do with flower-shaped butter cookies. See what I'm saying? You know. Kool-Aid. Dr. Pepper. Homemade lemonade. Banana pudding. Amen? (laughs) All day singing. Ooh, I hated those. Homecoming, right? The smell of Morrison's coffee. Brewing. Who remembers Morrison's in Old Riverbend Mall? There's some, there's some real saints up in here. There you go. Because that seemed to be what went on in that place, right? But there's so much more to the, the biblical teaching of fellowship. And indeed, fellowship is deep. It's very rich. And no doubt there are times when fellowship is happening over banana pudding and And good coffee, no doubt. But it starts deeper. It starts deeper. And so I want to launch into point number four, which is going to take us into some of these images in the scriptures of fellowship. Fellowship has many images given to us throughout the landscape of the scriptures, leading us to one truth. That one truth is unity of life together under the good rule of God by the gospel. That's a mouthful because unity, what is that? What is life? What is life together? What is life together in unity and purpose under the rule of God, under the the word of the gospel? That's a lot of stuff, which is why we're going to have to take some time to deal with it because it's too important for us to miss. It's far too vital for us to skip over, gloss over it, pretend we have it, and move on. Because in our context, in our culture, I've said it before, I'm going to say it again here, the next ten years in the life of this church are vital for us to understand fellowship. It's vital. If there is going to be a movement of the Spirit that may once again blow through the United States of America... Perhaps a third great awakening. I believe it's going to come from this deep, rich reality of spirit-filled people in unity together under the word of the gospel. Because these are the metaphors, these are the images that the scriptures give us of fellowship. And they are important because they work us toward understanding this idea of unity, unity, life together, unified in life together under the word of the gospel. Let's start with the first image, which I'm probably going to spend a little more time on than I intend to. Um, and I'm going to try to, 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 to rip through these and get us, get us down to, to some points here to do something this morning. But the first one is that of the body. We're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The imagery of the body. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members. And by the way, this, there's nothing in Paul's example that's rocket science. There's nothing here that takes a degree to get, right? It's just straight up imagery, analogy that we all get, because you all have one. You're sitting here in it now, right? All right, so this is just just easy. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Christ. Not so it is with church, with the church, but so it is with Christ. In other words, this many memberness, this many parts, one body is found in where? In Christ. So 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 fellowship in in body, whatever this means to be the body, is 
found in the very nature and character of God. This is what John's going to start his writing with in 1 John 1, 1 to 4. For in one spirit, speaking Holy Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Meaning, it is a work of the spirit that puts all of us in that body. Right? It's not a, it's not a work of a class you take. It's not a work of, of coming of just showing up. It's a Holy Spirit reality. You and me indwelled by Spirit bringing us together into Christ. You see in the imagery already? Okay, follow me here. Follow Paul. For one Spirit we're all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks. Slaves are free. What did he just do there? He put a diversity of people in one body under Christ. So there's diversity already in just the first few lines. Jew, Greek, slave, free, one in Jesus. Okay? And all were made to drink of one spirit. Meaning it is because of Holy Spirit that we, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, rednecks, educated, whatever it happens to be. Not that educated people aren't rednecks. Joseph and I both know. We know you have to know hypotenuse to put up a deer stand, right? Amen. We figured that out this year. (laughs) For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand and I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? This is the ministry of bearing with one another. It's easy for eyes to go, why can't you be an eye? What's wrong with you, toe? And the toe's going, well, why can't you have balance, eye? And that's not what the body does. As there are many distinct parts Functional, all vital to the body. If the body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. Meaning, God made you the way He made you. When He saved you, He redeemed you with a skill set. To fit into the body. And you were not made to be like me. And I was not made to be like you. But we are one body. One function. One head. One source. Jesus. As it is. There are many parts. Yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand. I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. How many of you, unless you have toe problems, wake up going, geez, man, my toes are vital to me today? Maybe not many of you, unless you have toe issues, right? And then you're like, dude, that's pretty stinking vital to my ability to walk today. Right? Right? So on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem weak are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Which our more presentable parts do not require. So in this analogy, the parts that are behind the scenes, the hidden parts, are treated in much more important and vital ways. They receive more care. Not, not, not the ear, the eye, but the toe receives a little special care. It gets a special covering. It gets specially protected. And, and you can hear in that Jesus' words, if you are going to be great in my kingdom, you must be the least. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. 
And if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That's my taste yesterday. That as we sat there, and yes, that gummit, I cried. I couldn't help it. I was being spoken to, and there was this sharing and ministering moment in which there was weeping together over a common reality that two spirit-indwelled, filled people had to deal with. And I was receiving strength in order to go, because little did I know there would be another hospital trip last night. And so there's a supernatural sharing and honoring one another with different, because we couldn't be more theologically different. All right? We are not on the same page. But we are belonging to the same king. And the same spirit indwells. And he saw fit to minister to a different piece of the body. To another part of the body. And there's no distinction there. There's no more important, less important. It's one in Christ. Different functions. And so we come to this idea of the body and fellowship. There is wholeness, yet many parts. There's uniqueness in the parts, but there are multiple parts. Listen, listen to me. There are no unimportant parts in this body. None. Whether you be a chair setter upper, a greeter, a radical kids worker, or a faithful person who simply prays and nobody knows you do. Because you take Jesus' word seriously. I want my reward. I want the reward to be seen, not me. So I'll enter quietly and nobody will know. And I'll pray for them. And Jesus said, I will do that for that person. No unimportant parts. Does that make sense? There are more visible parts. There are less visible parts, but all are equally vital. Unified yet diverse. Many parts yet inextricably linked. Man, we're, we're connected at the soul level if you're in the gospel. And I, think, I think Josh said it last week beautifully. He could get on a plane. He could be sitting next to somebody. And it's not long until you start, oh, there's something going on here. And, and you discover you're both Christians. Why? Because it's supernatural fellowship connection there. Many parts inextricably linked. Independent, yet dependent. Which is where we get the word interdependent. Interdependent. Separate, yet interconnected. The body. One body, multiple parts. A unity. Another example. Ezekiel and Hosea. And I didn't give you any specific references because it's all over Ezekiel and Hosea. Go read the whole book. Alright, Hosea is short. Ezekiel's long. So go to Hosea. And then go to Ezekiel and read it. But the people of God as wife and God as husband. And remember here, this is important. God is speaking about many people but uses singular terminology. It's important. It's important. When he said you, Israel... You are a wife. Israel is many people, right? You get, you get that, right? He wasn't just talking about one person, but all of you that I have called Israel. You, wife, me, husband, many people, one, yet many. And this beautiful reality that the fellowship of God, that together the unity of the gospel inside the people of God He says we're like a wife and he is the husband. And that he pursues, that he comes after, he chases the wife, all of us. Hey, by the way, if you belong to Christ, God the Father chases you and pursues you as a husband does a wife. All of us. Unity. Diversity. By the way, He doesn't want to make you like me. He doesn't want to make me like you. He wants to take the way he made you and complete you. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. Third, the people of God is a vineyard. Isaiah chapter 5. 
That we, all of us together, are like a vineyard that produces fruit. And Jesus is going to pick up on this later in John chapter 15. I am the vine, you are the branches, which we're going to look at very quickly here in a second. People, all of us together as a vineyard together. Different vines, yet one vineyard. The next one is the people of God as sheep. The people of God as sheep. God being the shepherd. Us, the people of God, being sheep. You read Psalm 23 lately? OMG. I mean, sorry, that, whoa, hey. I started talking in text. Woo, hey. My bad. 23rd Psalm. This is one of those that hopefully, maybe at some point in time, you've committed to memory. That man, there are times when the Lord, the Lord will draw that back to memory because, oh, you need to hear the Lord is my, our shepherd. And by the way, when he says, David says, my, this singular language, David is speaking on behalf of the people too. This is inspired scripture, remember? This isn't just applicable to David. This is all of us who are underneath the care of the shepherd. Jesus says something about that in a second, which we'll get to. The Lord is my shepherd. Dude, think, we together are shepherded by the triune God of the universe. I shall not want. There is nothing that's good for me that will ever be lacking. The Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. And no good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. In Christ you're upright because Jesus has made you upright. And there will be no good that we will ever lack in doing His work. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall never want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He supplies all that I need. He restores my soul. He even causes that unseen part of me, my soul, to be restored. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. He leads me to the right path because I bear His name. And His name is at stake. So He's going to make sure He puts me on right paths. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you're with me. And your rod and your staff are comfort to me. Check this out. Even if His best for us is that this moment is death, we fear no evil. Why? Because the shepherd's defense tools are pointed in the other direction. The shepherd didn't carry a staff to beat the sheep with, but to beat off the wolves. I have nothing to fear because His defense is pointed the other way. For us as a people. That's how He cares for us, right? Together, unity together, which is one of the reasons the imagery in First, Second Corinthians, yeah, First Corinthians five is so vital here. Is when we do church discipline, it's setting them outside the care of the shepherd. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint our head with oil; our cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our life and dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's us. The people of God as a sheep and Him as our shepherd. Isn't that good news? Check out Psalm 95 at some point. In the New Testament, Jesus transitions these images from Israel to the church, which we looked at one already in 1 Corinthians 12, and I want to start there on purpose, but... Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 to 32, the church as the bride of Christ and Jesus as the bridegroom. If you've been to any Three Rivers weddings, that you, you've heard this passage read. And, and I, it's now for, for many years as we do weddings, as I, 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 they'll come down and I read this passage. And, um, because Paul says something really important here. He says, I'm talking about Christ in the church, but oh, by the way, you should love your wives like this and husband, but I'm talking about Jesus and the church, meaning the primary application of that passage is to us together. We are his bride. He is the groom and he cares for us so that he might present us spotless without blame. Jesus care for us together. He doesn't care for you more than he cares for me. 
He cares for us. He's walking us together into completion. And we, together, in turn, are to respect and honor, worship, adore Him together. Together. A unity. Together. Object of His affection. Together. Us bringing praise. John 15, the church as the branches, receiving life from Christ who is the vine. He being the source of our strength, us being connected to Him, and out of that, Him producing fruit in us. And the imagery is so thick that Jesus says, those branches not bearing fruit, not belonging to the vine, they're cast away, and they're burned. They're not part of the vine, but those who are in the vine, we're together. And we're receiving the same life from the same source, producing fruit of His kingdom. A unity, diversity together in one source. Are you seeing the picture? Is it becoming clear that we, a fellowship, a unity together in one source, all diverse, objects of His affection, bringing praise to Him, growing out of Him to produce the fruit of His kingdom. John chapter 10 I debated whether or not to read the whole chapter of John 10, but you're going to have to go do that on your own time so we can move forward. But the church as the sheep and Christ as the good shepherd. I'm tempted to go ahead and read a, a few um, verses out of John 10. He's the good shepherd. We are the sheep. Some of the great things Jesus says about his people there. Truly, truly, this is John 10, verse 1. I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man's the thief and the robber, the thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. They will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. And then Jesus goes on in verse 22. At the time the feast of dedication took place in Jerusalem, it was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple on the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The, words that, the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. What did he just say? My sheep hear my voice and they follow. The reason you don't believe is because you're not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. There's more here than we have time to deal with. But here's the imagery. I have sheep. Father has given me. I hold them. I lose none of them. I speak to them and they hear me. Why? Because they're my sheep. And they follow me. Why? Because they're my sheep. All of them. Not one of them. One sheep's right out here in front of everybody else. They're like, nah, let me follow that sheep. No. They all hear the voice of the shepherd. Hey, check this out. If you have been saved by grace through faith, Spirit dwells in you. You hear, Father, same as me. This is one of the reasons I love the Reformation, is the reclaiming of the priesthood of the believer. He speaks to you and to me. And we hear Him. And we, all of us, follow Him. Isn't that awesome? Maybe not feeling that like I am, but I'm excited about the fact that He will speak to me. Even the most trivial things, the most trivial points in life, the Lord speaks to His people and He leads them all. And by the way, it's not in opposite directions. We know we have a problem when our visions for God's kingdom collide. Because Jesus isn't speaking in multiple voices. He speaks one voice and He speaks to all of His people and He leads them toward Him. 
So if someone says, God, man, I don't, I don't think God wants people to do the Great Commission like that. I think that's for, you know, individuals, professionals, and not necessarily all of us. Then when you need to listen to Jesus, all of us have a role in the Great Commission. Isn't it awesome that Jesus holds, and by the way, he loses none of them. If he holds you, there is no losing you. Us. He will not lose us. And John's going to let us know later that those went out from us because they were not of us. Those who walk away from the gospel, walk away from the church and the gospel, they're not listening to the sheep. They're not listening to the voice of the shepherd. As Josh reminded us, they are antichrists. The church as a kingdom, Jesus as the king, Colossians chapter 1. We together are a kingdom. We have one king. We're one country with one ruler. We have one allegiance, and it is to Jesus as king. The church as the household of God. From Ephesians chapter 2, 19 to 22, we're God's house. And Jesus is our cornerstone, and he is the builder of the house. We have been built by Jesus alone. He's the cornerstone and he's the builder. That's a lot of imagery, isn't it? I don't know about you, but that's comforting imagery. That, that moves me toward care and concern for, and at the same time you, but at the same time love for Christ, that he would do that for us. And make us that. It's a lot of imagery. It convey a lot of aspects about our life together as the church. And if we were just to spend time on each one of them, we could draw out tons of beautiful truths on life together under the word of the gospel. But here's just a few. We are Jesus Church. All those places in Roman Floyd County and the globe today who are gathered under the glorious banner of the gospel. We, all of us, are his church. Isn't that awesome? That today in our place, in places where folks from our body are working all over the world, where Christians have already gathered or are yet to still gather, guess what? We are his church. We are a family, a unity. Jesus is the head of that church. Jesus thinks for the church. Jesus commands the church. And Jesus mobilizes and sends the church. And he's left us no ambiguity in that. Jesus hasn't appointed little Jesuses. He is the chief shepherd and he is the head. He thinks for. He doesn't ask us to go make something up to do. He gives us the mission. Make disciples of all nations. It's the mission. He thinks for the church. He commands the church. Jesus said, go and recruit people for the work. Right? Didn't he? No. Ask the Lord of the harvest, and I will send you laborers. He, he doesn't even ask us to go recruit. He said, ask me, and I will send them. Jesus is ruling us well. Isn't that awesome? To think that as God's mobilizing people to go, it's him calling them. Dude, that's awesome. He mobilizes and sends the church. We're one bride, one bridegroom, one wife, one husband, one set of branches, all drawing life from one vine, one flock, one shepherd, one kingdom, one king, one family, one father, one building, and one foundation. And all those are aspects of the life of the church. So, fellowship. Fellowship. Unity is a word that describes all these images for the church. And it's the foundation for understanding fellowship. In John chapter 17, Jesus sounds the depths of that beautifully. I'm just going to read a few verses and then we're, we're going to get to some something to do here. Jesus in John 17 points out the nature of fellowship in this unity between the members of the Trinity and then the resulting unity between members of the body. Let me say that again. In John 17, the whole chapter, by the way, 
Jesus points out the nature of fellowship, unity between the members of the Trinity, resulting in unity between members of the body. Verse 11. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, us. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name. By the way, why is rebellion and, and sin flagrant, just overt, even covert rebellion against God's standards wrong? It's because you represent his name. You are called, I am called by his name. It's his rep on the line, not yours. Keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Verse 20 through 23. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This unity and diversity has an overt proclamation of the gospel in it because it's a Trinitarian reality. That doesn't mean that it's not to be proclaimed. The gospel's verbal. But there's an illustration in us with the verbal proclamation. Hear that? The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Dude, you, seriously? He loves us the way He loves the Son. That's some inner Trinitarian holy ground. Like, I'm thinking, like, seriously, you need to take shoes off, Jolly. That's, that's serious holy ground. That's us together, not apart from one another, together, the unity. As the Father and Son are one in essence, life, will, purpose, and mutual love. Jesus' prayer is that we would share oneness in life, will, purpose, and love. Shared life, shared will, shared purpose, shared love. It's fellowship. Fellowship is the sharing of the reality of spiritual and physical life and all the implications of life together. It is the life purchased by the word of the gospel Witnessed to us in the word of scripture. The church is a creature of the word. Reformers called us. We're a creature. We, we are a creature of the word of the gospel. The word of the gospel has created a creature called the church. And our life together is life together under the word. There's our definition. Life together under the Word. This life together under the Word is so intense that Paul reminds the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 that there is no fellowship between light and darkness, which is why he tells them, do not be united together with unbelievers. For what fellowship does light and dark have together? It's a rhetorical question. None. So don't be united together. Fellowship, life together under the Word is so thick and so rich and so exclusive to the creature of the Word that there is no fellowship available between those who are not creatures of the Word. Which is why when the gospel is preached and sinners repent and believe, there's a supernatural activity that places them into the body as creatures of the Word. Which, by the way, single people, that, that should affect your dating life. So be careful with your missionary dating. Fellowship. In conclusion, 
We desperately need to understand and do fellowship. And by the way, fellowship isn't getting along all the time. We may not have the proper attitudes all the time, right? Because if you're like me, you wake up in a foul mood most days, right? And it's easy to carry that foul mood and project it onto somebody and have to repent. We may not be one in demonstrable affection all the time. You ever notice that sometimes folks just get on your nerves, right? And it's not because it's just like we're full, we still have flesh issue and... And, 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 and so, so fellowship isn't the absence of those things. It's life together under the Word, which is why Paul gives so much instruction on how to be together. Because it's work. But we are one together in life under the Word. And we have to retreat back to this understanding of fellowship in order to get everything else in line. Fellowship belongs to those united in Christ and to Christ and therefore united to each other, life together under the Word. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to take a look at the basis, the nature, the symbol, the danger to fellowship and the responsibility in fellowship. But this morning, this morning, what are we going to do with this? What are we going to do with this? Response time each week should be a weekly reminder to begin now and respond to the Lord all week long in life together under the Word. Response time isn't simply a beginning point for when I shut up and they start playing instruments. And the ending time is when they stop playing instruments and there's a blessing at the end. Response time is a weekly reminder to begin now and respond to the Lord all week long in life together under the Word. Do this, what I'm about to say, all week long, starting now, okay? Today, in this room, okay? Practice in this room what you're going to do all week long. Um, like... Uh, you have a playbook full of plays, right? And uh, your mission on offense is to score a touchdown, right? Touchdown, Jesus. You go out onto the field and you work it through, you work it through, you work it through. And if you're doing your job right, you should run a play every 20 seconds in practice. Every 20 seconds. Because you have more time in the game. And if you can function in 20 seconds on the practice field, the game slows down for you in real life. You really love the game of football. But you practice like you're going to play. So that when game time comes, it's like, well, yeah, it's just what we do. We've been doing it all week long. All week long. It was hotter. But now it's not as hot. I'm conditioned. I'm ready to go. And that other guy's afraid of me. And this is We're going to practice. Begin now and respond to the Lord all week long in life together under the Word. Do this all week long until we come together again to be renewed and refreshed as a full body as we scatter to do the work of the gospel. Practicing life together under the Word. There's just a few things to begin with, okay? Number one, the most obvious one, sing to the Lord. He's the object of our singing. 150 songs in the middle of your Bible. God made music. He made songs. We sing them to His glory. Second, then there are four areas and ways I want you to practice this this morning. Number one, minister to each other. It's going to be a little different for you. Okay? Pray for one another. If as we're singing, a name comes to mind, and that person's in this room, go physically to them, pray for them. Minister to their need. Ask them, what can I pray for you about? Right? Does that make sense? If you need prayer, hey, guess what? Each of us are priests to God. And you're like, dude, I need to find somebody close to me. I need somebody to pray for me. Ask them, would you pray for me? 
And if they refuse you, then we'll, we'll work them over, all right? Just kidding. just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Lord, you know my heart. Just confession of sin. Maybe it's been hiding for 20 years, and nobody knows, and it's time to go public. So that there can be grace abounding through the love of the body to root out sin. Maybe it's against another. Maybe whatever it is, confession of sin. And then encouragement. If there's an encouraging set of words that come to your mind for another believer, and it's funny, I love how you guys, many of y'all do this for me, and that's pretty neat how that happens. Um, And it's exactly what I just needed to hear. Not the ministry of discouragement. I don't think that's in the manual. But the ministry of encouragement. Speaking a word of encouragement to someone. Maybe it's a word of instruction. Practice today what, what life together under the word looks like for the rest of the week. Father, for, for the glory of the head, Jesus Christ, the one who, who died that we might be one as you are one, Father, Son, and Spirit. I just want to ask that you would receive our sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips, as the writer of Hebrews said, that, that praise your name. May there, be, may there be fruit that comes from our lips in singing praise to you that, that is pleasing to you. And then I ask, Father, that you would lead your people to minister to one another. Um, and Lord, work all that together as you only know how to work that together. And I ask that you would lay a foundation today in the hearts of your people that 20 years from now we'll still be drinking from the fountain of the Holy Spirit and the gospel and us together, life together under the word. And may you, may you Father, please one more time move powerfully through the United States. Um, let us taste some, some of the beautiful stuff that we get to read about from the Edwardses and the Wesleys and the, and the Whitfields. So be glorified.